Welcome to Ask a Pastor. It's great to have you along today. Uh, This is a podcast we developed a few months ago just as a way to interact with questions that you may have. And we've been really encouraged by how many questions have come in. Uh, So thank you for that. And please continue just to send questions that you have to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be sure to interact with it in the future. And if you have been uh, getting this content via podcast. If you take a few moments and give this a couple of stars, maybe several stars if you like it, that helps people find the content. If you're listening on the radio or Facebook, uh, Instagram, wherever else this content's out there, Facebook, uh, welcome. We're glad you're, you're along today. Today I'm joined by Dan Shields. Welcome, Dan. Dan has been our worship leader slash pastor here at Orchard Hill since 1999, which uh, I, I was just kidding him a minute ago. I think I was in middle school at the time, which is actually not true. Uh, but but uh, one of the joys I have here at Orchard Hill is, is some of the people I get to work with, uh, both on staff and just as part of the church. And Dan is one of those people that, that it's just been a joy for me to work with for so many years together and to have the longevity that, that Dan has been able to, to give to our worship ministry has been great. So Dan, uh, one of the questions that, that we had was a question concerning this immigration issue, specifically uh, the whole immigration train of people yes, that's yes. headed to the U.S. border. And obviously this becomes politically divisive where sure. you get people who, who start to line up on one side of the aisle and say, this is God's take on this. Yes. And people who line up on the other side saying, this is God's take on this. Um, so how should a, a Christian person, I think this is really what was behind this question, no. how, how should a Christian person or a church respond to, to the issue of immigration, but specifically even this group of people that's headed to our border? And, um, you know, how, how, how should we view that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a wonderful question. And uh, first of all, the, the question itself shows compassion. This person obviously cares. And they, uh, they have empathy towards what's happening, I think, in here. And that's an important thing. I think, you know, uh, I, I want to approach this question a couple ways, though, because I think it's easy to um, take a surface look at this mm. But I think we have to look at maybe four different areas Mm. that really get the holistic view of how the church should deal with this in the question. Otherwise, uh, we can sort of deal improperly and just respond emotionally. Uh, And it's not bad to have emotions. God created us with emotions. We should have empathy. We should have care and compassion. But we also want to be effective in what we do. So I I think the first thing is this, and this is a really important thing, that the church itself needs to respond to people who are hurting. Mm. That's one of our calls, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at Jesus and, you know, he said, whatever you do unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And, you know, his ministry itself, he healed the sick. You know, he, the blind saw, the lame walked, the sick were healed, he fed the hungry, he cared about the children, he cared about the outcasts and people who were, you know, uh, maybe on the outside. And I think we as a church, we also need to have that compassion and care. That's a charge of the church. And you know, you look at the early church and, and uh, some of the things that were most important to them were caring for widows, caring for orphans, mm-hmm. caring for the poor, caring for sojourners, people who are outsiders, we'd call them immigrants. Mm-hmm. So the church was called to do those things. And you know, you look at the writings of John or Peter or Paul and they all dealt with these things and said that they were very important. You're teaching a series on the book of James right now and it's, there's a whole series, there's a whole section in that book about caring for the least of these. Um, And I think if we look at the church historically, even if you were the most hardened critic of the church, 
even if you're really skeptical, you don't like the church mm -hmm. at all, if you just look historically, you have to come to the conclusion that the church historically, more than maybe any other organization that the earth has ever seen, has shown compassion and benevolence to the least of these. Mm -hmm. You know, the George Mueller's or the Mother Teresa's, mm -hmm. they, they care and they have compassion. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's the first point's an important one. Okay, okay, good, what, what else do you Okay, have? well the second point though I think is equally as important uh, and that's that the church needs to be careful and prayerful mm -hmm. in how they deal with these issues. Um, you know, the, the reality with the press and the way the press is, and I'm not saying fake news at all, this is not what I'm saying, but the press uh, does have a tendency to sensationalize. They want viewership. If it bleeds, it leads. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever the biggest thing that's going on, they want to be on that bandwagon because they want viewership. And a lot of times, they, they portray things very emotionally. One caution I would say with that, though, is just because something is the relevant thing that's happening right now, it doesn't mean that there's not other really challenging issues. Mm. So for instance, the immigration thing, th this is a very serious deal. We should care about this. Um, but you know, so is uh, starvation in Haiti, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a starving child, that's a serious issue. Or uh, child uh, slavery in India, mm -hmm. that's a very serious issue. Or the AIDS epidemic in, in Central Africa. So I think um, we need to be cautious of how we approach these things. And if we just emotionally jump from whatever the press is leading us to yeah. see as the most important issue, we might miss some really core key issues and we might not be as effective with our time, talent, resources as we could be. So like, just to take this into a personal example, I walk down the street, I see some poor soul on the side of the street, he says he's hungry, and I hand him a $10 bill. Now that's a good thing, right? Everybody would agree that's a good thing, mm -hmm. that's good and right. But like we have a partnership, for instance, here at the church with Light of Life Ministries. Mm -hmm. If I talk to somebody from Light of Life, they would say that was a kind and gracious thing to do, but that wasn't the best use of $10. Mm. With that $10, we could have fed four people, mm. not just one person. You also don't know what's gonna happen to that $10. Mm -hmm. You don't watch how that happens, but if you give to us, we do watch what happens. And furthermore, they develop relationships with people that help to get them out of those situations. They're not just dealing with, I need a hamburger in my stomach, but how do you deal with homelessness? How do you deal with mental health right. issues? And that's through relational things and also you know, them giving some real support. Yeah. So I think that's important. Uh, that's good, that's well put. And, and I like how you say that, be careful and prayerful. One of the things that it seems to me happens in the broader church context today is that people, uh, whether, as you said, being led by the news or whatever, they'll see something and they'll say, this is the Christian response. Mm -hmm. And anybody who doesn't respond with the same intensity, the same uh, sense of urgency that I have is somehow less Christian or less spiritual, less uh, passionate about the things of God. And, and I think your point is, is well made to say every need is not a calling necessarily yes because you may have several things that you're concerned about, passionate about. Now, that doesn't Absolutely. mean you shouldn't have a take on something, right. but it means that, that every time somebody says, I'm passionate about this and this is an important thing, that that, that doesn't mean that, that you have to jump into that and totally. say, this is also my thing. So, so, so what I'm hearing you say is the church should care about people who are marginalized. There's biblical mm. exhortations to care for the sojourner, the foreigner uh, mm. as a country, um, and uh, but also be careful and prayerful, uh, what else? Yeah, well, just to bounce back on what you just said, though, that I think is really important. Um, you know, we, we have a saying that we've used here, I don't think it's original to, to this church, but we say it's better to hit a nail on the head 10 times mm -hmm. than 10 nails one time. 
Uh, and you know, it's, it's important for us, I think, to be able to make wise choices with our mm -hmm. resources because there are so many problems and we cannot solve all the issues of the world. And the reality is we live in a broken world. Mm -hmm. There are gonna be crises. You know, if the church today solved all the crises of the world today, mm -hmm. tomorrow there would be another crisis. Right. So we have to pick and choose our battles and decide how we're going to spend our resources and our time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah, so the third thing I, I think that's really, to me, I would say is the single most important thing. Some people would disagree with that, but from my perspective, my vantage point, I think this is the single most important thing. And I would say this, that even though we are called to, to serve the poor, and that is important, and that's part of the mission of the church, it's not our primary mission. If you see the world through the, the goggles of charity first, you put on the glasses of charity, you might miss the more important thing, which I think is what the, the church is really designed to do, which is share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I feel like, Kurt, man, I feel like if we miss that, we've missed everything. Mm -hmm. We've missed the whole world because you know, the, the gospel is letting people know who they are, what sinfulness means, who a holy God is, and how Jesus Christ has paid a price so that we can have a relationship with the God of the mm -hmm. universe. That changes everything. That changes our perspective on things. That helps us with, you know, God's spirit will flow through us and he'll lead and guide us to be able to help people. But, you know, I, I feel like some churches get this backwards. Well-intended churches that I love and I appreciate, but they get it backwards and they become more of a charitable organization than a gospel organization. And to me, what that does, you know, it's, it's a little bit like this. Um, if you're a doctor, and you see cancer on somebody's arm, and it hurts them, and you just simply numb that cancer, knowing all the way, wow, that cancer is gonna spread and kill that person. We would call that malpractice. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've actually done a great disservice to that person. You've, you've helped the pain, but you have not cured the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the reality is, is if we, uh, you know, we take one of these precious kids that we see that's, that's really hurting on this caravan, our heart goes out to them, our heart should go out to them. But if we take that kid out of that situation, we clothe them, we feed them, we educate them, we put them through college, they end up becoming great citizens, they have a house and they have a car and they have a family and a dog and live a great life, but they die and they don't know Jesus. What have we done? Mm -hmm. We essentially have just prolonged the worst thing that could happen in somebody's life and that's an eternity separated from God. Mm -hmm. And I think we've missed everything if we mm -hmm. miss that. So I think we have to know that our charge, first of all, is as sharing the gospel. And then there's a lot of other things that the church needs right. to do and so, charity so, is another So one. a lot of people would hear that yeah. and would say, okay, I, I hear your point about the mm. cancer and the you know, numbing the pain, but they would critique your viewpoint mm. that you just shared by saying you're making a, a false dichotomy of saying the gospel and acts of charity aren't Correct. one and the same. What they would say is, is if you are infused with, with a gospel passion, mm -hmm. it will equally help you to do works and word, you know, deeds and word, and they go hand in hand. And in order to have credibility in the broader mm -hmm. world, don't we need to do acts of charity that, that communicate to people, we're for the good of the world, and here's the gospel. How, how would you respond to that critique? I, I would agree wholeheartedly with them, first okay. of all. So I, I, I think they're, they're right. And basically what I'm saying is not one to the exclusion of the other, but I'm saying that the primary driver of the church has to be Jesus and what he's done. And uh, that, that's the primary thing that the church is really designed to do. So it's not the exclusion of something mm -hmm. else. You know, we're called to love everyone. 
you know, so do you share the gospel and not love people? No, of course not. Mm -hmm. Of course we're to show compassion and love and grace and kindness to people. Mm -hmm. That's what the charge of the gospel is and that should be the heart change that happens within right. in us. And if we don't see that, again, you're going through the book of James, if you don't see those things happen, you do have to question mm -hmm. like where really is your faith? Right. So I think faith naturally outpours into all of those things. But there's a lot of different social issues that are very pressing serious issues. You know, you could look at abortion or something like that. Uh, and, and those things, if they become the primary thing, I think something goes wrong. But if you see the gospel as the primary thing and the outpouring of those things into all of these other areas of society, I mm -hmm. think we, we get it right. Okay, now what, what's your, uh, your last uh, kind yeah, so of the, point the, on this? The last thing, and I would say this, and this is an important one. Um, you know, the person's asking, what should the church do? Well, that's a good question. And you know, the, the church is two different things, and I think this is important to realize. The church is the church visible, which is the buildings, the denominations, whatever it is, but it's also the individual people. It's the church invisible. It's you and me, actual believers. Mm -hmm. And you know, we have a charge to really listen. Just like that second thing I said, be prayerful and careful. That's what that person mm -hmm. needs to do. And, and I would say this. There are different levels of response that God will call us to in certain things. And it's okay not to respond to the full measure of these things, but the, the first level I would say is just empathy or compassion. You know, you see this horrible thing happening and it should break your heart. You should feel something and it's good to feel something. Um, but if that's the end of it, you really have done nothing to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You've done nothing, you've just felt something, which is okay, that's a first step towards something. Mm -hmm. The second step I'd say is, is a step of awareness where you start sharing with other people. You find out about this, the issue more. You talk and say, isn't this a horrible thing? Maybe you post it on Facebook or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now again, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. But the reality is that still has done nothing to alleviate the problem. So the question you have to ask yourself, if you feel this sort of like divine dissatisfaction I heard a pastor say, you need to be prayerful and ask the question, what am I being called to do? Mm -hmm. Am I being called to give resources? Am I being called to help somehow? What is my, you know, it's the JFK thing, you know, ask not what your church should be doing, ask what you should be doing, yeah. and you have to ask that question. And if you think your church should be involved, I'd say go to the leadership of the church, tell them this yeah. is a passion of yours, and ask if there's a way that you could partner together with the church. Yeah. But remember too, the church might have a lot of other areas that are just as important, and they, you know, yeah. they, they may, might not do something with yeah. it. Yeah, well, a lot of times what happens in my role is people come and say, what's the church doing about Acts? Yes. And I probably get that question almost every weekend. You, you yeah. know, why aren't we doing this? Why, we, we should do this. And yeah, yeah. my standard answer is, you are the church. Right. Go do it. And, and what people often mean is, is, well, can't we make an announcement? Can't we rally everyone here? And, yes. and to your point, there's only so many causes you can rally to Otherwise, right. you'd be constantly saying, hey, we're rallying to everything. But if you have a passion for something, you are the church. And you yes. doing something is, is a response of the church. And, um, and so that's a, uh, a lot of times people want the institution to do something instead of saying, I can do something. And right. me doing something is that response. So, yeah, I so I appreciate your perspective. Let me, let me push just for a second sure. uh, on this issue. So if somebody <clears throat> were to say um, the Biblical thing is to care for um, foreigners, sojourners. Uh, mm. Our country's closed borders is an anti-biblical policy, if, if mm. you stand with that. How, how would you respond to that? Yeah. And, uh, and just 
for fairness, um, I didn't tell him I was going to ask that question. So, so he's on the spot. Okay, here. so, so <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we've we've walked a little bit into the world of politics yes, right now. Yes, but and, but and it, but it's merged because people throw down the, the this certainly. is a biblical ideal. So, certainly, so that's and why I'm asking the question. I would say this: that they they probably are right. Here's one caution that I would have, though. Um, the political landscape right now is a highly charged political landscape. It probably always has been, mm -hmm. but we see that especially with the press right now. And what is often portrayed in, uh, in the world of politics are the extremes of politics. Because again, they're the things that get gets the mm -hmm. most press. So it used to be, I think, that the means were defined by ideas on both sides coming together and seeing where that, that middle ground is. Now I think the means are largely defined by the loud vocal extremes mm -hmm. of politics. But I'd say this, that a lot of times in the political world, there is more middle ground than people think. So I'll give you an example. In this particular case, uh, you, you have two sides of the fence. One might say, you know, if you don't have borders, you don't have a country. You can't let everybody come in and take everything of yours, just like you have a front door on your house with a lock on mm -hmm. it. You don't invite all the homeless of the world into your house because it would bankrupt your house and you wouldn't have a house anymore. Both sides would agree with that, though. On the other side, you have a side saying, but we are a country of immigrants. We were mm -hmm. built as immigrants and we should have compassion for people and care for people. And we've always been a country that has had that and we should have that now. But both sides agree with that. So the question really is, how do you deal with those, the disparity in views that both people agree with? There's a gray zone between those two things that you have to decide, okay, what does it look like to protect our borders? And what does, it what does it feel like to really care about people who are in need in the world? And those are the questions that I think are the important questions. Yeah. But I don't think you ever wanted to exclude somebody else's view completely because a lot of times right. the people on the opposite side of the fence, if you can look them eye to mm -hmm. eye and not just write something caustic on yeah. Facebook or something, you probably can hear some things that you say, that's true and I yeah. agree with, but I think I have some important viewpoints here too that, that play into this that are really important for us as a country. And to be able to have a civil discourse is something this country has largely lost. Even statesmanship with mm -hmm. politicians, I think, is largely lost. And that's an unfortunate thing. But as we learn to dialogue and talk, we can start to see that other people have valid points too, and then you can work through real solutions uh, that right. really do impact the, the situation. Yeah, it, it seems like part of the problem comes when we assume that that there's no nuance, no possibility yes. for smart, reasonable people to disagree yes. or to see a different solution. Yes. And then what we tend to do is we tend to impugn the motives of the people and oh, say, say those people on the other side clearly don't understand or clearly have malintent. Yes, and, and, uh, and we'll label them. You know, right. they're haters or they're socialists or, they're, what, right. you know, we'll actually put labels on those things that might yeah. not really be true with the reality of what the person right. sees and feels, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Dan, uh, another question that we had, uh, thank you for your thoughts on that, sure. is uh, how should I address my doubts about God and the Christian faith? So if somebody were to come to you yeah. and just say, you know, I've been around kind of this church thing, yep. God thing, but, but I still am full of some questions and doubts, how, how would you advise that person to handle those doubts or questions? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think there's probably three things that are important. First of all, I love the question because the, in the built into the question is somebody saying, uh, you know, they have spiritual desires, but they have real legitimate doubts. And first thing I'd say is everybody has real legitimate doubts. You know, Billy Graham has 
real legitimate or had real legitimate yeah, he doubts. He doesn't now. He, he pretty much knows <laughs> now, yeah. But you yeah. know, ev- everybody who has any set of beliefs, you always mm-hmm. question those beliefs, whether you're Christian or not, you know. So, um, you know, you've lived the Christian life for mm-hmm. decades now, and there are probably times in your life where mm-hmm. you've had real legitimate questions in your faith. So th- that's no surprise that people have doubts. Everybody struggles with those doubts. What you do with those doubts is really the key. Uh, the first part that I'd answer is an easy answer. This is, this is the answer that you would expect. And the answer that you'd expect is this, that you know, we have 2,000 years of church history with great thinkers who have thought through mm-hmm. many of these issues before. And there is, you know, at the click of your phone or you know, buy a book and you can get real answers to real questions. You know, like I, I talked to um, somebody here, he was a young kid and he stepped off of a, a team that we were on and he said, I, I don't believe what we're saying and I'm an atheist. And, uh, my, my first response to him was, that's great. And he was shocked because I don't think it's great that he was an atheist, of mm. course. You know, I want him to be a believer in Christ. But I said, it's great that you no longer are just simply believing what the church says, what your parents said, because the reality is there are no grandchildren in Christianity. There's only children and you have to own your faith for yourself. So mm-hmm. he needs to go out and ask those hard questions and get the answers to those hard questions. And I will say this, you know, if God's a God of truth, he is not scared about mm-hmm. the hard questions. But you know, if you, if you just look online, you look at some of the great apologists, you know, maybe you get a book like Reason for God by Keller or you know, Mere Christianity or, or one of the other myriad of great books that are, that are out there that deal with those issues of apologetics and faith. Or you, know, you jump onto a podcast by Norman Geisler or Ravi mm-hmm. Zacharias or Hank Hanegraaff or somebody who deals with apologetics all the time. You can get a lot of those answers. Right. And, and that's, that's the simple part of the answer. I'd say the more complex part of the answer is this. Um, And I'll give you an example on this. I heard a pastor, I was just reading an apologetics book, this was a couple years back, uh, and and I had read some fairly complex issues of the faith and somebody answered them really well. And I overheard a conversation where this guy asked one of these questions. Mm -hmm. And I I just happened to be sitting in my back pocket on 20 great answers Mm -hmm. for this thing. But I wasn't in the conversation, and so I didn't say anything, but I I was sort of like listening out of the corner of my ear or whatever it is. And and the pastor said something that shocked me. He said, well, you know, the reality is we all have to believe something, and you have to choose what you're going to believe, and you either have to have faith or not. And I remember my response when I heard that was actually like, I was shocked and I thought like, but don't you know the answers to the, you know, how could you say that? How could you put, but when I walked away from that conversation, as I thought more about that, I came to realize that that was a very, very wise thing for him to say because there is some reality into, we're gonna make choices of faith in one direction or another. And as we make a choice of faith, it it won't matter all that much. You, You can't win an argument to get somebody into the faith. Mm-hmm. You can't, or even more so, you can't make somebody lose an argument to get into mm-hmm. the faith. So I think you have to decide, right. am I gonna start with a position of faith and say, I'm gonna find the answers legitimately yeah. or and, not? And so maybe what, what he was communicating is that in some ways, our doubts speak to our beliefs, yes. but in some ways, our beliefs inform our doubts exactly and and that's probably an important thing to understand is that sometimes sometimes we we don't want the implications of the christian faith and so we have doubts rather than having intellectual doubts now having said that i i don't think it's entirely fair because sometimes there are real intellectual doubts that people have 
And, and one of the things that's at least been helpful for me is to just be able to say, it's okay to realize that faith is not the absence of doubt, but faith is affirming something in the presence of doubt. And, oh, so and good, what, yeah. what I mean when I say that is just to, to be able to say, there's very few things that we have complete um, assurance in. And yet somehow when it comes to spiritual things, we, we want better assurance than we want um, when we go to get on an airplane or something, uh, that, that, you know, there's qualified people, uh, flying the airplane or yeah, totally. whatever it is that, that is our standard. And so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's not an easy question. The other thing I would say to anybody who's struggling with doubts is, is take the time to investigate. You mentioned yeah. some books. I think a lot of times it's easy to say, well, I, I, I'm just a doubter. I'm just a skeptic and to sit there. Yes. But but to say, if I am doubting, questioning, study the stuff, resolve the stuff and land somewhere, even if you're saying I'm landing here for now, mm. um, because that will force you to try to actually say, what is it that I think today? Um, because sometimes what and I think this is what you were saying, even about the the beliefs kind of leading to doubts. Sometimes it's a comfortable place to be if, if mm. I don't if I don't have to if I don't land my beliefs, then I don't actually have to commit to anything. Mm. And therefore, I can just kind of go through um, life without the implications of saying I'm an agnostic, I'm atheist, I'm, you know, a Buddhist, I'm a, you know, a Christian, whatever it is. But but if you land, then you have implications. So, yeah, great. so great. Well, Dan, thank you for uh, jumping in today. Again, if you have questions, uh, please send them to askapastor@orchardhillchurch.com, and we'll look forward to interacting with those in a future podcast. <laughs>